get started tonight. Father, thank you. Thank you for this wonderful day. Thank you for the reminder from Galatians uh, that this gospel is uh, validated and this gospel is powerful and it transforms. And we thank you for that. Thank you for your word. Uh, your word continues to tell us about your work uh, and your word, even from the earliest days, um, way back even before Joshua, but in the book of Joshua, your word and your spirit are at work and active even then and doing amazing things. Uh, we love you. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives and through our lives. And we commit ourselves again to your spirit, who we pray would teach us tonight from your word uh, into our lives. And we thank you and pray for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Joshua. Remember one word on Joshua, possess. So if you had the opportunity to read 5 through 24, did you kind of begin to see why possess is the word for Joshua? I don't see a lot of heads. That means a lot of you must have finished Joshua like a week ago and you forgot. You forgot all about it. Gotcha. So Joshua uh, is really about possessing. The first, um, oh, let's see. Gosh, is it 11 or 12 chapters? Yeah, pretty much. Maybe through 13 is about conquering. And then 13 through kind of like, oh, let's see, there's 18. So through 19 is distribution. So there's the conquering of the land, and then there's the distribution of the land. And then 20 through the end is uh, sort of some details. Where are the cities of refuge going to be? Uh, and Joshua gives his final commands to the people. So that's sort of a big, big, big overview of the book of Joshua. So there's conquering, conquering the land, then there's the distribution of the land, and then there's some final things that Joshua talks about. So there, that's your big picture of Joshua. We're not going to talk about really any of that. We're going to talk about some other things. So here we go. Back to our story. God's expectation from Egypt is claim Canaan. Remember that? The promised land. I'm going to send you out of here. You're going to go to the promised land, the land I promised to you back from Genesis chapter. Thank you. Chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Confirmed by covenant in Genesis chapter 15. And then we see them, the first generation, right? They leave Egypt. They don't do so well. And then the second generation comes along. They couldn't possess their inheritance until they crossed the river. And so God called on Joshua, not Moses, to lead his people into the promised land. And we sort of use that to jump into a little sort of a parenthetical study on the spiritual life from Romans. And then the people begin in Joshua's day. Joshua leads them across the uh, Jordan. The people begin to possess, little by little, what God has given them, but they'll have to fight to possess it and hold it. So they've got to learn that they've come across, but now they're going to have to fight to possess and to hold the land. And that's kind of... If you remember the book of Joshua, they did a lot of fighting, and they're gonna possess, they've possessed a lot of it, but not all of it. So, big idea for tonight. There's land to possess and battles to fight. Land to possess and battles to fight. So let's look at how they began possessing the promised land. Three general principles from Joshua about possessing the promised land. First... Does that work? Okay, first, there's a general inheritance, right? The general inheritance, this is called Israel, right? General inheritance. They all had part of Israel. 
But then each tribe had a specific inheritance. Okay, so let's just pick one. So let's just say this is Judah, and in here is Simeon. So let's say this is Judah, and whoops, well, it was S for Simeon. Okay, Judah had part of Israel, but didn't have all of Israel. Okay, so the land was, there's a general inheritance that went to all the tribes. They were part of Israel, and then there were specific inheritance parcels uh, that each tribe got based sort of on size, the number of people that they had in their tribe. Okay, so there's a general inheritance, then there's a specific inheritance, and there are certain enemies and strongholds within each tribal allotment that are especially troublesome and or difficult to overcome and displace. For instance, who couldn't, oh, this is a horrible English sentence. Who couldn't Judah drive out? Hmm? That's right. The Jebusites. Good. For those of you who read it, you're like, yes, Jebusites. Who finally drove the Jebusites out? David. Right? You're like, why is David fighting the Jebusites in Jerusalem or what would be called later Jerusalem? Because the Jebusites weren't driven out initially by the tribe of Judah. Remember, Judah got their inheritance. And what the, then the text says, they go on. Oh, like, let's read that one. I can see on your faces. You're like, what? I don't remember this. Okay. So chapter 13. Well, let's find Judah. Chapter 15. Chapter 15 is the land given to the tribe of Judah, and there the boundaries are listed. And at the end of chapter 15, beginning in verse 63, but the tribe of Judah could not drive out the Jebusites who lived in the city of Jerusalem, so the Jebusites live there among the people of Judah to this day. Now, who are the Jebusites? There are some of the Canaanites. There are some of the people in the land that God said... Drive these people out. I will give you victory over them, but you've got to go fight them and drive them out. But there's places, almost every tribe, there's some particularly pesky Canaanite group who will not be driven out. They want to stay in the land more than the people of Israel or the people of that particular tribe want to drive them out. Does that make sense? Well, it may not make any sense, but that's, there it is. So first is, this is Yahweh's land. Possessing the promised land, this is Yahweh's land. He promised it to them in Genesis chapter 12. He said, this is yours forever and ever. I bring you out of Egypt. Where are we going to go? The promised land, which I promised to Abraham. That's where we're going. They said, yoo here we go. This is Yahweh's land. First general principle. Second general principle. It'll be possessed by Yahweh's power. So this is Yahweh's land. It's going to be possessed by them through his power. How do we know that? Whoa, way back here. In, in uh, not Genesis, Joshua. Uh, chapter 5. Verse 13. Okay, so they've crossed over. Remember, they've crossed over. When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in hand. Joshua went up to him. This is great. Joshua went up to him and demanded, Are you friend or foe? Neither one, he replied. I am the commander of the Lord's army. What does Joshua do? What? No, Joshua hits the deck, <laughs> takes his shoes off, right? Or, or the commander of the Lord's army says, take off your sandals for the place you are standing is holy. Ring any bells? It's supposed to. Guess who else had kind of an encounter like this? <laughs> yeah, that M guy, that Moses guy. Joshua is given the same basic thing as Moses before the big battle. Okay. So, 
Who goes into the land first? The commander. First, God sends his commander into the land. Who is his commander? Probably a pre-incarnate Jesus. It's called a Christophany. Okay, so theophany is a pre-incarnate appearance of God, but there's only one person who's ever appeared to us, and that is Christ, and so more than likely the commander of the host is a pre-incarnate picture of Jesus, and so it's a Christophany. So here's a pre-incarnate picture of Jesus. Not just picture, but there's a guy there. The angel of the Lord is the other time a Christophany. Probably the angel of the Lord is the Lord himself. Okay, but they're going, this is Yahweh's land. It's going to be possessed by his power. So what does he do? He sends in his commander first. Then, if you remember 6 and 7, when they go to Jericho, how'd they, how'd they get Jericho? What did the Lord tell them to do? Right? March around it and blow some trumpets. <laughs> Good idea, Lord. <laughs> That'll work. Can you imagine telling Joshua, the general, okay, we're, we're going to... March around this thing like seven days and blow the trumpets and the walls are going to fall down? Yep. Gotcha, Lord. (laughs) That's what we're going to do. So they march around and what happens? The walls fall in. Then they go attack Ai. How'd that go the first time? Not so well. Why? Achan. Okay, we'll get to him. They repent (laughs) after some punishment. Then they go back to Ai. And what does the Lord tell them to do? What's the second strategy? Is it march around again and blow the trumpets? No, he says set set an ambush. Right? He says put some over here and then you charge in and then you turn around and run and they'll come out of the city like they did the first time and then you ambush them and you squeeze them. A totally different strategy for a different city. Okay? So the Lord's strategy wasn't always the same for every enemy. Right? Right. All right. Who has to go fight? I know this is obvious. Israel had to go fight. They they didn't get to sit there in their lawn chairs and go, go get them, Lord. (laughs) They had to suit up. They had to put on their armor and their weapons, and they had to go to battle. Now, the Lord fought before them and with them, but they had to suit up and go, right? I I know this is obvious. So this is like 001 to most of you, but I'm going to tell you why we're belaboring this. It's Yahweh's land. It's going to be possessed by Yahweh's power. In goes his commander. Strategies are different depending on the enemies. And who goes in to fight? It's his servant soldiers. It's Israelites. Proverbs 21, 31, great verse for you if you're looking to memorize some things. Who knows Proverbs 21, 31? Okay, good. Well, put that on your list. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. In other words, we, the, the, the army has to suit up. They have to go to war. But the Lord is there to bring them the victory. Okay? This is Yahweh's land. Therefore, it's going to be possessed by Yahweh's power and according to Yahweh's word. According to his word. It's his land. It's going to be possessed by his power and it's going to be according to his word. God is faithful to do as he's promised. Remember, every time he said to Joshua, I have given you this king, this city, this whatever. Right? What happened? They got it. God is faithful to do as he's promised, no matter how difficult or even impossible it may seem to his people. Not one, and here's Joshua's summary Towards the end of Joshua, not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed to come to pass. What a great verse. Not because it's true of Joshua, but this is true of our God. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel 
failed to come to pass. Another verse you could write down if you like in your Bible memory is Numbers 23, 19. I brought that one up before. I'm sure some of you have looked that up since the last time I brought it up, right? Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Numbers 23, 19. Great verse. Again, a characteristic of our God. It's Yahweh's land. It'll be possessed by his power and according to his word. His word to Joshua. His word to the commander. Three big principles, two practical truths with that. Those who lived by faith and walked in obedience to his word possessed some, but not all, of what God had promised them in their lifetime. Some, but not all. Judah, as a for example, what we read with the Jebusites, Judah possessed a lot of what they were given, but they didn't possess it all. No tribe possessed all of their inheritance in their lifetime. And Achan, here's the, here's the principle with Achan, victory was impossible when living in the midst of known or self-inflicted sin. You can't win. God is not going to give you victory if you're living in the midst of known or self-inflicted sin. That's the story of Achan. It's Yahweh's land. It'll be possessed by his power and according to his word. Those who lived by faith... Oh, is it in the way? I don't know that I'm done with it. I'll bring it back. Uh, okay. So finally, remember the first few chapters is they've conquered it. And in the last few chapters, they divide it. So they conquer the land and then they divide the land. Here's how they divided the land up. These were the tribal allotments under Joshua. So remember Judah got, look how much Judah got. And Simeon, poor little Simeon, Judah got too much. It says Judah got more than they could populate. And so Simeon got part of Judah's. Dan, um, when you go to Israel, right? When you go to Israel, you will go to where Dan started. What? Did you read in here? What happened to Dan? They couldn't conquer anyone. Poor little Dan. They couldn't conquer anyone. So you know what they did? They went up here and they beat up on these little weak people and they took a place up here. Hmm. wonder what God thinks of that. Oh, mark the page. This is not good. This was their tribal allotment, and what did they do? They abandoned it. We know what you've given us, Lord, but you know what? We don't like it. It's too hard. We want someplace easier. And so they went and found their own land. Here's what they didn't know. All of Israel's major enemies came from the north. Guess who they walked over first? Dan. Dan, you would have been a little better protected down here, and these guys would have taken it. But no, you guys decided to go up here. See that? Dan. They moved up there. And when you go to Israel, you'll see why they would have picked it. It is beautiful. It's lush. This down here, oh my gosh, it's like a desert. I would have gone up here too. Ah, problem. That's not what God gave them. Little problem. So they conquer or they possess the promised land. Well, now if you're in the land, what do you have to do to possess it? So how do we keep the promised land? So here's the rest of the book of Joshua. First, I got to possess it. And then second, I got to keep it. How do I keep it? Very simply, covenant obedience will bring God's blessing and they'll remain in God's promised land. Covenant obedience. And so what does Joshua do? 
at the end of Joshua. Again, if you had a chance to read it. Remember, he sets up Ebal and Gerizim, and the priests walk between it, and what does Joshua do? He reads the terms of the covenant to the people, and what do they say? We will obey. We will follow Yahweh. He alone is our God. That probably lasted, I don't know, a week, maybe two. But they walk through this thing. They walk through this valley, and the positives are coming off of Mount Ebal, and the negatives are coming off of Mount Gerizim, and and Joshua is reading this, and they're entering into a covenant renewal ceremony. That's what they're doing. Covenant obedience will bring God's blessing, and they'll remain in God's promised land. Covenant disobedience, back to Deuteronomy 28, 29, and 30. The key to unlocking the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 28, 29, and 30. Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings discipline, disaster, and deportation. There's, I've just summarized Deuteronomy 28, 29, and 30 for you. Obedience brings God's blessing, and they'll remain in God's promised land. Disobedience will bring God's discipline, disaster, and even deportation from the land, which occurs about 700 years later when the ten northern tribes are taken away by Assyria in 722 B.C. Guaranteed, 722 B.C. will be on the final. Go ahead and write it down. Covenant disobedience will bring God's discipline, disaster, and even deportation from the land. And finally then, Judah and little Simeon will go off in 586 to the Babylonians. We're in about 14 hundred-ish right now. Here's the, here's the key to keeping the promised land. Obeying God's word is the key to usefulness, fruitfulness, and blessing in the promised land. So if you're Israel, Is that okay? Can everybody see that? Maybe a little more? Is that better? Okay, hearing nothing, I'm going to keep going. God wants them in this land. In this land, they will be most useful to him. Right? They will be most fruitful for him? Yeah, okay. And they'll be under his blessing. They'll be blessed. Because obedience brings blessing. So if you're in the land, if, you, if you're in this general vicinity, you're going to be most useful, most fruitful, and blessed by him in the promised land. What did you have to do, or what do you have to do to stay here? Yes, you have to be obedient. But what did you have to do to possess the land? Okay, who gave you the land? God. What do you have to do to possess the land? You have to fight. So if I'm Judah, maybe I... You know, maybe I started off with that much. What does God expect me to do? Fight and go push out into this part that He's given me, but I haven't yet possessed. And no tribe was able to do that in their lifetime. There was more of God's land given to them than they could possibly push into in a lifetime. So what? I know, I can see some of you. So what? 
Let me use this again as a jumping off point to wrap up our Romans little parenthetical study. Uh, Christian, from the moment you found out you were royalty and had been given an inheritance in Christ, have you longed to claim it? Have you longed to claim it? Now, I'm not talking about name it and claim it. I'm not talking about that. God wants you to have it. Remember, we've talked about these verses before. Ephesians 1, 3, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, a relationship, an intimate relationship with Christ, John 17. God wants you to have it, and in fact, he expects you to have it. Just like he expected them to possess what he had given them. What does he want from you? To possess what he has promised you, what he's given to you. Do you want it? Do you want to have it? There's land, in quotes, to possess and battles to fight. How are you going to get it? And we talked about in Romans 5, 6, 7, 8. Here's how I begin to do this. So we're closing up that little, uh, what would you call that? I don't know. That little thing we've been doing, Romans 5, 6, 7, 8. Now we're coming back here and we're saying they had to fight for their inheritance. You and I have been given an inheritance in Christ. Do you want it? If you do, and you should, you have to fight for it. Christians aren't insulated from battles or exempt from obligations. Possess your inheritance. Possess it. It's been promised to you. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it, and neither do I. That doesn't matter. God has given it to you and asks you to possess it. How do you possess it? You got to fight. And you've always wondered why Ephesians 6 is in the Bible. Why does Paul talk about these spiritual battles and warfare? Oh, some light bulbs should be coming on. What do you have to do? Fight. Who are we fighting? Things we can't see. <laughs> right? Okay, now I'm not trying to get weird or scary here. I'm just saying, we've got to go fight. We've got to go possess the promised land. How do we do that? We have to remember the same things they had to remember. First, this is God's land. Land in quotes. Ephesians 1.3, God has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. How many blessings? Every. Are they already on account for us right now, today? Yes. When you became a believer, he gave you a checkbook and he said, go ahead and write the check. It'll clear. It's in the bank. It's mine. And I've put it in the bank for you. Well... Thank you, Lord. I don't want it. Galatians 5.22. But, right, he talks about the nasty things in Galatians 5, all the, all the bad things. And then he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Whose are these? They're not yours, and they're not mine. They are the spirit of God's. Do you want them? Well, kind of. <laughs> Some days I want them. Some days I don't. <laughs> right? Part of our general inheritance. Every Christian has Ephesians 1.3 as a promise to them. Every Christian has Galatians 5.22 and 23 as a promise to them. I don't care if you're in this country or a faraway country. All Christians have this. This is what's promised to us. How about our specific inheritance? You go, what? what? Like a tribe, okay? 
I got part, but not all. Right? Ever heard of spiritual gifts? Guess who doesn't have them all? Any one of us. <laughs> Why do I need you? Because I don't have your gift, and we have to be together to do the work of Christ. Oh, gosh, really? It's kind of an illustration, kind of a picture. Back there with the tribes. No one tribe got everything. They all got a part. Ah, crazy! Your specific inheritance God created You are God's workmanship. You always start that way. You are God's workmanship, creating Christ Jesus to do good works which he prepared in advance for us to do or to walk in them. Okay? You have a specific inheritance from the Lord. Do you want it? You've got a general inheritance, but you also have a specific inheritance. Well, if this is God's land, in quotes, how are we going to possess it? Only by God's power. We have to follow his commander, who is his commander. The Lord Jesus, we learn from the book of Hebrews, he is the commander, he has the flag, he's walking at the head of the column with all of us behind him, and he's saying, follow me, come this way, here we go. He's the one leading us in to this wonderful life that he's promised us. We have to follow the commander. His strategies as we encounter various enemies will be different. Why would that be important? Why do you think? What if it were one size fits all? It, would be, it could be boring. I wouldn't have to depend on him, would I? Because now I got the formula. Oh, I know what to do now. Thanks, Lord. Thanks for that secret key. It unlocks every lock. I don't need to depend on you anymore. He says, yeah, that's not how we're going to do this. <laughs> every enemy you have to come against is going to require a different strategy. So where do you have to start? Bill, come back to me. I'm the key to this. I'm the commander. You're not. Come back to me. Ask me. Talk to me. Depend on me to defeat this enemy in your life. You can't do it. God is pretty smart. Have you figured this out? He's just like he thought ahead of all these things. And what are we to do? We're to be his servant soldiers. That's Romans chapter 8. How, how do I do that? I have to walk in the spirit. And Ephesians 6, I have to put on the armor of God to go fight the battles. As the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory is God's, I got to suit up. I got to be ready to go. But God is going to bring the victory. Now, how many times in the Old Testament did Israel have to go up against enemies? It wasn't always that God gave them a one-battle victory. Sometimes they had to go back and back and back and back and back. Hmm. Guess what? You and I are going to have to go back and back and back and back and fight again. This is God's land, in quotes. It will only be possessed by his power. His commander is key. That's why he's the first person in. He's got different strategies for each enemy we have to fight. We have to be his servant soldiers. You can't just stand on the sideline and say, okay, Lord, whatever my particular issue is, I'll just lie here in bed. Go take care of that for me, please. He goes, uh, no. <laughs> Get up. Suit up. Let's go. I will be with you, and it will be my power, and I will bring the victory. But you got to suit up. You can't stand on the sidelines. 
It's God's land. It's going to be possessed only by his power and, not surprisingly, third principle, according to his word. There are enemies in the land of man's soul. So that's land with quotes around it. The land of man's soul. So imagine, and if you'd like, if, if you're a woman, you want to make it woman's soul, that's fine. But imagine there's a land within you. And there's a battle going on in the land of man's soul or the land of woman's soul. You okay with that? Everybody tracking with me? Or did I just lose you? Okay. I'm going to assume you're with me. There are enemies in the land of man's soul that need to be killed and or expelled. He's not asked us to do what's impossible, just what's impossible for us to do alone. How many times have you fought an enemy and you've lost? You're not going in with your commander. You're not going in in his name and in his power. You're going in in your name. And it doesn't work. We must go up against our enemies one at a time. And you say, okay, who are these enemies that live in the land of Mansoul? Who are they? The last page of your handout, you will notice the book I love to hate called Respectable Sins. There are, of course, unrespectable sins, murder, etc. We would all say, those are not respectable sins at all. He says, you know, I've been thinking, there are some sins that Christians think are respectable because we don't do anything about them. This is a horrible book. I'm glad Jerry Bridges is with the Lord. That way he can't write any more books. Let's just pick a few at random here, shall we? And see if any of these connect with perhaps a Canaanite who is living in your land of man's soul. Let's just pick number one. The sin of ungodliness. Ungodliness, now this is his words and I've given you the page because you will buy this book. Ungodliness may be defined as living one's everyday life with little or no thought of God or of God's will or of God's glory or of one's dependence on God. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> Isn't that what, you know, my neighbor who's outside of Christ, isn't he ungodly? Yes. But every time I behave like him, when I don't think of God or God's will or God's glory or my dependence on God, I am no different than him. Though I am completely different from him, I'm behaving in a manner that's no different from him. James 4, 13 through 15 talks about a lack of dependence on God. Here are some things that as he uh, comes up with some applications, compartmentalizing. I know you do that. I don't do that. Prayerlessness. Self-reliance. Lack of conscious awareness of the presence of God not being as mindful of God as he is toward us. Have you ever seen that Canaanite running around in your land of Mansoul? You ever seen that rascal? Um, well, let's go down to, how about number three? The sin of discontentment. Actually, the most frequent warnings in Scripture against discontentment concern money and possessions. But in this chapter, I want to address what is perhaps a more common form of discontentment among committed Christians, an attitude that may be triggered by unchanging circumstances that are trials to our faith. God is sovereignly in control of life, Psalm 139. Some of his applications, there is an ongoing physical or emotional limitation or disability. Loneliness, a perceived lack of God's direction or guidance, 
prolonged or excessive, in quotes, waiting on God for an answer or direction. You ever seen that rascal running around your, the land of Mansoul? Eh, you're Christians, you haven't. I've sure seen him running around my land. Uh, oh, gee, let's flip to the back. How about uh, number eight, the sins of impatience and irritability? In this chapter, I'm going to define impatience as a strong sense of annoyance at the usually unintentional faults and failures of others. The impatience, this impatience is often expressed verbally in a way that tends to humiliate the person or persons who is the object of the impatience. Proverbs 19.11 says, It's to the glory of the wise to overlook an offense. His applications. Waiting on others who knew the scheduled departure time. An unspoken attitude of displeasure or disappointment. You know what that is? That's the look. Right? You know what the look is. All of you know what the look is. You know how to give it, and you know it when you see it. Impatient and, oh, why did I read that one? Impatient and or irritable driving. Emotional outbursts. Uh, oh, let's do number 12. As widespread as the practice of gossip is, however, it is by no means the only sin of the tongue. In this category, we must also include lying, slander, critical speech even when true, harsh words, insults, sarcasm, and ridicule. My love language is sarcasm. In fact, we would have to say that any speech that tends to tear down another person, either someone we are talking about or someone we are talking to, is sinful speech. <laughs> Man, you all are holding up really a lot better than I am. <laughs> Using negative or critical speech practicing humorous ridicule, using off-color jokes, using put-downs that get a laugh, or exaggeration. Respectable sins is what Jerry Bridges calls these. And there are others which you may read at your leisure. Do you see these Canaanites running around in the land of your man's soul from time to time, if not all the time? Do you know what they do? They move in next door to you in the land of man's soul, and you make an agreement with them. We will build a white picket fence between us, and you'll stay on your side of the fence, and I'll stay on mine. Don't bother me. And I won't bother you. Tell me how often that really works for you. What do they tend to do after a while? Oh, they'll throw a spear over the fence in my front door. They'll come over and pound on my door. They'll come over and set something on fire. These are Canaanites. These are enemies in the land of Mansoul, the Lord says, this is my land. These enemies can be expelled or killed with my power and my word. Do you want to get rid of them? Or would you rather just tolerate them? Look at what Israel did. Judah, as well as the other tribes, Judah couldn't or wouldn't drive out all of the enemies in their land. You and I may never get to drive all of our enemies out. 
but this is the land he has given to us. And he says, I want you to have it. It's yours. And in it, there is love and joy and peace and pain. Let's just talk about joy for a second. How many of you have joy? Remember when Ben talked today about, you know, my life glorifies God? You know one thing that people are looking for? Joy. Do they see it on you or on me? Do they sense joy from us? Or do they go, to themselves, you know, what you have isn't any better than I am, what I've got, which is nothing, but you don't got it any better. Nothing different about you. What's happened? That Canaanite, he's moved into our house. He's taking over, which is what they do. We have to go up against our enemies one at a time. Great, Bill, how do I do that? There's land to possess and battles to fight. First, prepare for battle. If you're going to go to battle, you'd better prepare. You're going to prepare your mind. That's where you're going to begin. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. we got to start with our mind. What are you going to see up here? Romans 5, which is why we jumped off into Romans. What are you going to see? I'm saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. I am justified. I must put my inherent self-righteousness to death daily by looking back. Christ died for me. I didn't deserve it. I cannot earn it. But he hunted me down, what Ben said this morning, but God But God, but God intervened in my life and rescued me. When I was drowning, he rescued me. What self-righteousness do I have left? I should have none. Problem, I have a lot. And it keeps coming back out. I've got to get that dead By looking back, Christ died for me, Romans 5. I can gratefully approach him knowing my sins have been completely forgiven in Jesus Christ. I come assured that God's for me and not against me. I am who he says I am in Christ. I'm not all I will be, but I'm no longer who I was. I've got to prepare my mind first to go into battle. If you're going to go into battle, you got to prepare your mind. What else are you going to prepare? you got to get your supplies together. What are your supplies? Remember that big thing, I am second? Guess what? You are second. <laughs> Have you run ahead of the commander? The commander goes in first. He's got the flag. It's our job to suit up and get behind the commander. Sometimes in our... Um, Impatience to see something change, maybe it's not true for you. It's true for me. I'll run ahead. I'll run ahead of the commander. He's not ready to go that fast. I want it to be done. I want to be done with the journey. I want to arrive. Why is this taking so long, Lord? (laughs) He says, Bill, come back here. (laughs) Come back. Some lessons I want to teach you along the way. Okay, (laughs) I thought the lesson was, let's get there. He says, no, I want to teach you along the way. Don't forget your equipment. What is your equipment? What does Paul start with? Do you remember in Ephesians 6? Hmm? Okay, you have Bibles, right? Okay, well, you can look that up. What does he start with? Okay, don't forget your equipment. Keep God's word before you. It is the sword of the Spirit. Do you know what my Canaanite enemies don't care about? My words. Do you know what is powerful? The word of God. Keep God's word before you. It's the sword of the Spirit. 
Don't forget, you are second. Take up your position behind Yeshua. Suit up. Begin memorizing God's word or look it up and rehearse these verses to your mind. For instance, if you do your quiet time in the morning, in the morning. Now, first, what have you done? We're taking these one at a time. Okay, so here are, um, oh, I don't know. There's at least 13. There's a few that there's more, right? But there's at least 13 here. So you could start tomorrow with pick any one. I mean, the one that the Lord is impressing on you. Pick one. What are you going to do? You're going to gather together some scriptures that attack that particular sin. What are your supplies? The sword of the Spirit. He doesn't, the Canaanite doesn't care about my words. He cares about the Word of God. And you're going to start, you know, doing that with the sword of the Spirit at that Canaanite. So you've got to take up your position behind Joshua. You have to declare your dependence on the Holy Spirit again. Pray for increasing desire. You say, Lord, I don't even have a desire to be changed at this. Ask him. Pray for increasing desire to be changed by him and pray for his power to enable your obedience. The horse is prepared for battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. We've got to prepare. We've got to go into the battle, but the Lord will bring the victory. It's his power that will bring the victory. What happened... Right? Now, it was because of Achan's sin, but what happens when Israel, every time they run up against an enemy in their own strength, what happens? They get beaten back. Picture. <laughs> Same is true for us. Take up your position behind Joshua. Declare your dependence on the Holy Spirit. Now you've got to engage in battle. Enter the battle by naming the sin. Name it. Don't think you're surprising God by naming it. He's not going, oh, 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 Bill, what did you just say? He's not doing that. Enter the battle by naming the sin. Attack it using appropriate scriptures. Bombard that fortress by habitually praying those scriptures against that sin. Involve one or more believers in the struggle for prayer, for encouragement, and for accountability. Involve someone else you trust. Same gender, please. To be your prayer partner. But involve one or more believers in the struggle. One of the one another's that we're supposed to do is pray for one another. And we go, I wonder what I should pray for that person. Why don't you ask that person what they're struggling with? Oh, gee, I don't want to know. Oh, okay. Huh. Uh, and huh, then they might ask me. Yeah, I know. Huh, huh. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> but this is, a, this is family business. This is what we do in the family room. Enter the battle by naming the sin. Okay, let's just pick one. Uh, let's pick ungodliness. Number one. Enter the battle by naming the sin. You know, Daddy, I don't know. It might have been yesterday or the day before. I can't really remember the last time uh, I talked to you um, or really even thought about you during my day. Thanks, Bill. That's right. Now, do I fear? No. Why don't I fear? Because I'm justified. I can bring the sin out in the light. I'm not surprising God. He already knows about it. I just agree with him. This is a problem. James 4, 13 through 15. And there's some other verses you could look up. You start praying these things. Say, Daddy, I know. Here is what you've said about that sin. Here is the truth. And I'm going to begin praying that, that scripture against that sin. Talking about my lack of dependence. 
Daddy, I can't change myself. I need you to change me. That's right, Bill, you do. And you begin praying the truth into your mind. And where does faith come in? I'm going to believe, not foolishly, not falsely, I'm going to believe that what God says is more true than what I think, than what I feel, or my past experiences. Remember, we talked about these things before. The scripture is more true than what you think, than what you feel at the time, or your past experience with this, unless it's been victory through God. Okay? The scripture is more true than what you think, than what you feel, or than your past experience. Okay? Ungodliness. Oh, Lord, every time I start praying against ungodliness, I'll go for a week, and then I forget that I started praying about this. I know, Bill. It's okay. Ready to go again? Yeah. Ready to go again. Go again. There is therefore now... What? Do you believe that? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Daddy, I forgot about you again yesterday. I just started yesterday morning, and I forgot about you all day again today. Oh, Bill, I'm so disappointed. I thought you were serious this time. I know the voices you hear. Is that true? It is absolutely false. Guess who's telling you that? That might be the evil one. It's probably your flesh. <laughs> I never think that I'm important enough for anybody to mess with me right out there, you know, any of the, the demonic world. My flesh is pretty darn strong and can talk to me a lot. What does it tell me? Bill, you messed up again. How can you stand in front of people and tell them about this and then you'll turn around tomorrow and it won't happen for you? Yeah. Who are you to stand up there and say those things? What is the flesh telling me? Until my performance is perfect, I can't tell you what the truth is. Wrong. Wrong. We're all in this struggle together. One step forward, half step back. Quarter step forward, one step back. <laughs> We're in process. Enter the battle by naming the sin. Attack it using appropriate scriptures. Bombard that fortress by habitually praying those scriptures against that sin. Where do you spend some time? Like if you do your quiet time every morning, where do you spend some time? Probably in front of the mirror, right? Some mirror, somewhere. We all do. Three by five cards stuck to your mirror with the, with the verse. Or the verses. You don't need 800 of them. I know some of you. You're achievers. You're going to say, if one is good, 18 or better. Pick one and just read it to yourself and say, Daddy, I reminded myself this morning that this scripture is more true than what I think, what I feel, or my past experience with this sin. Would you bring this to pass in my life? And now step into your day knowing that you're stepping out in the truth. Here's our biggest enemy. It's not ignorance. I don't know. It's not apathy. I don't care. It's complacency. I know, but I don't care enough to do anything different, at least not right now. Are you complacent with respect to becoming more like Jesus? That's our biggest enemy. Our next step, God's expectation. Christian, there's land to possess and battles to fight. What enemy is causing the most trouble for you in the land of man's soul today? Will you begin to go into battle against it tomorrow, knowing the Lord is with you and for you in your fight? Will you? I pray you will, and so will I. For next time, which is not next week, it is July 14th.
read Judges 1 through 8. We will begin the book of Judges. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Uh, Thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you for loving us enough to give us and preserve your word for us. Thank you for your spirit who takes your word and and sinks that truth deep into who we are and who uh, the sword of the spirit, your word is his sword and he will use your word to fight our enemies and to bring the victory. And we desperately need you to do that in each one of our lives, probably, likely, in very different areas. But your strategies will be different for every one of us and for every enemy. Uh, Remind us to start with you and to start with your word and to come against this um, in a battle. To possess what you have promised us, uh, we want it. And I pray that you would continue to raise our desire for what you've given us, and that is to know Jesus better and better and to become more like him. We love you and we pray for these things, please, in Jesus' name. Amen.